are as important to us as they are to you. And so we let you go with what you, whatever you desire. And again, it's not because we don't care, it's because we trust you so much. Yeah. Ladies, you've dreamt about your wedding since you were little girls. You thought about the kind of cake you, you wanted to have. You thought about the color schemes, how the napkins needed to match the bridesmaid dresses, and the bridesmaid dresses, they need to match the groomsmen's bow ties, and the groomsmen's bow ties, they all need to match the floral arrangements, and the floral arrangements, they all need to match the wedding announcements, and yeah, I'm being a little facetious there, but you get the idea. And then don't forget about the dress. You got to say yes to the dress, even if it costs $12,000, right? That's what they tell us. Is that how Ruth's wedding was pictured in Ruth chapter 4? Rather than this being really a, a, a wedding of, of lace and satin, I think it's more true to say that this was a wedding of burlap and barley. But as you will see, Ruth's marriage played an important role in God's great plan of redemption. Because without the wedding of Boaz and Ruth, the gospel would not have come. We saw last time in chapter 3 that Ruth asked Boaz to marry her in the most unusual place. Can you imagine all the ladies the next day asking Ruth questions about the engagement? I remember when I was engaged and family, they were all excited and friends and I can just imagine them uh, asking Ruth, so when did Boaz uh, propose to you? And Ruth says, well, he didn't. I proposed to him. And Ruth says, um, well, and the girls say, well, um, where did this happen? When, where did he propose, or where did you propose to him at? And, and so Ruth says that it was on the threshing room floor. Yeah, in the middle of the night. Oh, my. Yeah, I was lying at Boaz's feet, and he woke up, and I proposed to him. Boy, he can really snore. Can you imagine her trying to describe that, explain that to somebody who didn't understand the setting and what had just happened? How she was asking Boaz to be her kinsman redeemer. I bet it was a little confusing. You might remember at the end of chapter 3, it was kind of a cliffhanger. Boaz says that, you know, there, there's a kinsman redeemer that's even closer than I, and we have to ask him first because Boaz would do what was right. But he promises Ruth that no matter what happens, whether he accepts or not, you will have a redeemer because if he says no, I'm more than happy to be your redeemer. That's the kind of man he was. How he cared for others. We talked about his loving kindness. It's kind of interesting to see how this chapter spends so much time describing the legality of Levitical law on marriage and, and property. Um, spends quite a few verses explaining this to us. And you might wonder, why all the detail? And to answer this, I think we need to ask ourselves, really, what is the purpose of the book of Ruth? Why is it in our, our Bibles? And while there's a number of reasons for that, I think one of the biggest reasons is to show what the line of David would be from which the Messiah 
Jesus would come. I think that's why at the end of this book, there's that genealogy. Again, making it clear, it it actually repeats itself twice. That this was a line of David. This was the line where the promised Messiah would come from. Let's look at some of the details of this story. So the first half of this story is really at the city gates in, in Bethlehem. And you might ask, why here? Because you've got to realize that gates are not just for defensive purposes back then, but it was kind of like the town hall. That's where people met. If business needed to be done, that's where the elders would be sitting so that they could be witnesses, so that, again, it was all done out in public so that everybody knew. And true to Boaz's word to Ruth, that's where he went early the next morning. We've talked before about the providence of God, and, and it's by providence that God had the other kinsman redeemer there that morning at the city gates, right when Boaz, Boaz got there. And so after the, the, the kinsman redeemer that has no name, and it's kind of sad, if he had been willing to redeem Ruth, his name would have been in the genealogy of, of, of Jesus, of David forever. But again, he was unwilling to. And so we don't know his name. But he sits there with Boaz, and Boaz calls ten elders to sit at um, the gate there with them so that they could decide the matter, so that there would be so that there would be witnesses. Boaz had two items of business really that he had to that had to be decided. And the first had to do with the land, and the second had to do with, with Ruth. And so the first one with the land. Our text says in verse 3 that Naomi was selling the land, which is really just a way to say that Naomi was selling the right to redeem the land. More than likely, Elimelech had sold that land before um, they had moved to um, Moab so that they had some money to reestablish themselves. We're never told who Elimelech sold that land to, just that it's no longer in Naomi's possession. But listen to what Levitical law says about the situation Naomi found herself in. Leviticus 25. I'm going to read verses 23 and 25. And this is God speaking now. The land shall not be sold and perpetuity. Say it. Thank you. Perpetuity. For the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the country you possess... You shall allow a redemption of the land. If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property from his nearest redeemer, shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. So if a a person was poor and had to sell their land, God provided a way for the land to be returned to them on the year of Jubilee, which was every seven years. Why does God provide a way for his people to get their land back, even if they had to sell it? And I think we know the answer to that. You might remember when they entered the promised land that God allotted land for each of the 12 tribes. And then the 12 tribes, they allotted land according to clans and families. And so God's promises were tied to the land. And that's why the land was so important to the people. 
And that's why there was that whole thing about the year of Jubilee where they could get the land back. And so apparently, Boaz talked to the other kinsman redeemer and and told him about the land, and right away he was ready to redeem it. Yes, I want that land. See, in his mind, he was only going to have to redeem Naomi. Naomi was past the age of being able to bear children, and so he probably thought it was safe. If he redeems this land, then it, it falls under his possession. And because Naomi couldn't have children, then when she died, the land would go to him and his children. But then Boaz dropped the other shoe, and he tells her, tells this unnamed kinsman redeemer about, about Ruth. That on the day that you redeem the land, that you also need to redeem, redeem, um, redeem Ruth. When this man heard about that, suddenly he's not interested anymore. He doesn't want to jeopardize the inheritance of his own children. Because he figures, well, if he buys this land, this is only going to go to Rus firstborn. That's so that the name might continue on. But more than likely, because this young man or would be part of the family when he grew up, he'd probably get some of his own children's inheritance. And so we're told that he didn't want to jeopardize that. And the way he communicated that was by taking his sandal off. Now why was Boaz so willing to be Ruth's redeemer and to redeem the land? Why was he willing and yet this unnamed kinsman redeemer was was unwilling? And again, I think that has to do with the loving kindness of, of Boaz that he's reflecting the very, the very heart of God. You know, sometimes I think as Christians, we're called to look at things different than the world around us. We need a different kind of uh, way to uh, balance what's, what's important. Now, the world around us, you know, they, they tell us that it, it would be foolish to be something like a kinsman redeemer. To have to pay all that money out for the land and get nothing in return, really? They would say that that was foolishness. They would probably say it was foolishness as well to tithe each week. I think the world, if we were talking to them, they would say, why would you tithe 10% of your income? Why, that's silly. You could take that money and, and you could invest it in a Roth IRA and make lots of money from it. But as Christians, we say, no, we have to put God first. Because what we have is not ours, it, it's God's. And it's on loan to us. And, and we show that when we faithfully tithe each week. Tithe each week. Or what about adoption? Why would you adopt somebody else's kid? And so then you have to pay for it. Pay for their clothes, pay for their food, pay for everything until the child is old enough to be on their own. And even then, as parents, we, 
we know you still end up getting your wallet out quite a bit. Why? It doesn't make sense to the world around us, that kind of thinking. Why we would give of ourselves, why we would sacrifice. But as Christians, we know the reason, the answer to that. It's because of the love and the grace and the mercy that has been shown to us that we in turn are willing to allow that love and goodness to flow through us to others, to those around us. Well, like I said, the other kinsman redeemer, he took off his sandal. That might confuse us a little bit, but hear the background for that. Deuteronomy 25. I'm going to start at verse 8. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him. And if he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders and pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face. And he shall answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. In other words, this man was unwilling to be that kinsman redeemer for his brother's wife, brother who had passed away. And so by taking off his sandal, this unnamed kinsman redeemer was saying, I'm not, I don't want to be the redeemer. And so he passes it on to Boaz. Now thankfully in the, in the, the days of Ruth, that the people didn't spit anymore, it, it looks like. They, they just had to hand that stinky sandal over to somebody else. It's kind of a weird custom, isn't it? But there's a lot of weird customs in the Bible. Sometimes you just kind of wonder. But at least we understand why. You can find another passage that, that explains that. And so with the matter settled, the elders and the people offer Boaz a, a benediction of sorts. Again, because they recognize his loving kindness. Not only in him, but in Ruth, in Ruth as well. They can see godly virtue. And so they bless him for it. Bless him for his willingness to be that kinsman redeemer. To redeem the land and as, as well as to redeem Ruth. After Ruth and Boaz's wedding, we're told the, the Lord opened her womb and she became pregnant and eventually bore a son. What a beautiful picture of, of Ruth sitting in the shadow of the Almighty. Remember Psalm 91? Sitting in the shadow of the Almighty. And if you look at the end of that psalm, all the blessings that belong to the person who's willing to sit in the shadow of the Almighty. And the only way you can sit in, in someone's shadow is to be right next to him. You might remember that we talked about that. That's literally what Ruth did. She trusted in God. And look at how God blessed her, provided for her, opened doors for her, and brought her a kinsman redeemer. After Ruth bore a son, we're told the women went to Naomi and celebrated. Why this emphasis on, on Naomi rather than Ruth? Well, that was a theme that ran through the entire book of Ruth. That Ruth had, or Naomi had come back to Bethlehem bitter and empty. And now as they laid that child in, in Naomi's lap, she was blessed. Her life was full. Not only did she have a kinsman redeemer, 
But now she had a child. A child who the, the women blessed and, and who said would, would become somebody great. We know that King David would come from that line and eventually the Messiah. And this Boaz's willingness to be the kinsman redeemer is really a, a foreshadowing of what Christ would one day do. Remember the qualifications we, we said last time that a, a kinsman redeemer had to have in order to um, redeem? Let's apply that to Christ. First, the redeemer must be a near kinsman. The redeemer must be a near kinsman. Since sin is our problem, our redeemer had to become our representative and had to be our relative. And we're told in Scripture that that's what Jesus became. He became 100% God and 100% man. And as a man, He stood as our representative before God's throne. He was Emmanuel, God with us. Second, our Redeemer had to be willing. Jesus says in John 10, 17, The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. No one was forcing Jesus to do that, just like no one forced Boaz to do this. But it came from a heart filled with love. Third, our Redeemer must be able to redeem. That meant He had to be sinless, a perfect lamb, without blemish. Listen to how Paul puts it in in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. And so when God looks at anyone who's been born again, anyone who's been washed in the blood of Jesus, He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see the, the wrong that you've done ever. He just sees the righteousness of Jesus. One day when we stand before Him, when the book of life is opened, what is God going to see? Only the blood of Jesus. His righteousness. Fourth, our Redeemer had to have the price of redemption. Listen to how Jesus fulfilled us. Ephesians 1.7 That in Christ we have redemption through the blood and the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Through Christ Jesus. And as our kinsman redeemer, he continues to bless us. Not only did he give us the gift of salvation, but he continues to bestow his blessings on us over and over and over again. And he even anoints us with the oil of joy. This is what God pours out upon the heads of Ruth and and Boaz. At the end of the ceremony, the elders, the people, people they, they, they gathered um, to celebrate this, this child that was born. And what a celebration that must have been. How it must have thrilled Naomi's soul to see God's faithfulness, to see God's love, how he had provided for them. And, and Ruth as well. Must have filled them with thankfulness for God's many blessings. And I hope each of you, when you think of the gift that you've been given in Christ Jesus, the salvation that is yours, that it also fills you with that same thankfulness, that same joy. 
Because we too have been anointed with that oil of joy that the Bible speaks of. This is the joy that Jesus promised His disciples in John 15.11 before He went to the cross. This is our joy to claim as well. It's a joy that belongs to everyone who's been redeemed. How does Ruth and Boaz show their joy and love for God's goodness, for His mercy? Verse 15 says that they invited Naomi to be Obed's nurse, caretaker, nanny. Again, to hold that little baby. That must have thrilled Naomi. I mean, she thought all was lost. She thought thought there was no hope when she came to Bethlehem. And now here she sits with a baby on her lap. Grandparents, what a spiritual legacy that you have on your family. Not only your children, but your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. What a spiritual legacy. Your family is looking up to you. And when they look to you, what do they see? Do they see you filled with that joy that comes from being in Christ Jesus? Do they see Christ's presence in your life? Because when they see it, they're going to imitate it. They're going to want to know what's the reason for it and what an opportunity that gives you to tell them more about Jesus. Just a little bit at a time. Just keep telling them about Jesus. So that the day comes when they're faced with some trial, some trouble, some problem, and they're going to have to ask themselves, do I trust in Jesus? Am I going to look to Him or am I going to look to my own strength to try to solve this? Throughout the story, God blessed Boaz and Ruth. He gave them much to be thankful for. He also gives us much to be thankful for. The psalmist proclaims in Psalm 107, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this. You are the redeemed of the Lord. I'm one of the Lord's redeemed. What an opportunity we've been given to tell others about this wonderful thing that's happened to us. That we have a kinsman redeemer who loved us so much that he went to the cross in our place and gave us the gift of eternal life. And it's because of this that we now go out into the world around us to spread that joy so that people may celebrate with us. How will the redeemed of Rudyard CRC share their joy with this community? This is what we're all called to. Will you be faithful in this? Or will you forget that God's even placed this call upon you? So many around us are living their lives like Naomi, empty, bitter, or just ready to give up. They don't see any hope. I pray that you will love them and through your life point their eyes to Jesus because our Lord is good. Psalm 34, 22, 
it says, the Lord redeems the souls of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This is our promise to claim as well. Praise the Lord that our Redeemer lives. I hope you can say that this morning. And I hope it's something that is, it goes beyond just something we know, but it's, it sinks into our heart. And it fills you with joy knowing that your Redeemer lives and He's watching over you. You are the redeemed of the Lord. Let's live our lives like we, we truly are. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of Ruth and, and, and Boaz. Thank you, Lord, for the way we, we even see your, your presence in, in Naomi, the way you changed her heart. And by the end of the story, Lord, she's filled with your joy. You've given her a reason to celebrate. You've filled her emptiness. Father, we ask that you might fill our emptiness as well. Father, that we might put our eyes upon you. And Father, use us in this community. Use us wherever you've placed us to be your hands and feet, to be your voice, to point others to Jesus. Let's pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing.